Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast, produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofaro, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we'll all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know how to feel, what to do, or even how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, We hope these podcast conversations will lead to a better understanding of grief and ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those that you care about. You know how when grief feels so big, you can't contain it in the borders of your body or your mind, and it seems like maybe it should just go on a billboard? Well, there's an artist among us who does just that. Today's guest, Max Collins, first engaged with grief in public spaces in the Painkillers Kill More Than Pain campaign. That's hard to say, Max. (laughs) Working with parents whose children had died of opioid overdoses to install murals of their children and then take photographs of their parents in front of those murals. Then, in March of 2015, Max's work took a more personal turn when one of his closest friends, Courtney, died of suicide. In the days after her death, Max installed a mural of her eyes on the side of her business in Buffalo, New York. Currently, Max is working with Celebrate Silas, which is a memorial 5K run-walk put on by Jody Brower in memory of her son Silas, who died just after his first birthday. And Celebrate Silas is an event that takes place here in Portland, Oregon, and we'll be sharing throughout the podcast today how to get involved in kind of a new exciting development in the walk that Max is helping out with this year. So Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What I love about your work is how much it parallels the goal that we have here at the podcast to help people bring their grief out of the shadows. So often people say they learn to keep quiet about their grief and the loss because it makes other people so uncomfortable. And there's nothing quite like a huge mural to make people stop and notice the impact of loss. It's such a great way to help bring grief more into everyone's consciousness. So thank you for the work that you've been doing. Can you start with talking a bit about what was the inspiration I mean, not everyone thinks grief. I'm going to make a mural out of it. What was your inspiration for that? You know, the mural making preceded, you know, having having the mural work focus on a kind of grieving capacity. Um, So I was doing a lot of photo murals around Buffalo, where um, I'm originally from, and was doing portraits that I had done and done workshops where I was taking portraits of people and blowing them up and using historical images. and, And like my practice as a photographer was rooted in like documentary and portrait and editorial work and so I kind of meshed my kind of editorial photography with street art and so I started just wanting to put faces and portraits and stuff out in the world. That was it was that work that got me the opportunity to work on the painkillers kill more than pain campaign because they wanted to have me kind of you know they wanted to do have like a public outreach aspect to the campaign and so I was brought in to and then we kind of came up with this idea that we would do these kind of workshops with parents and have them do these photo murals of, you know, their child who had passed away. And that was kind of the introduction of my art form in, like, the grieving realm. And it was a year after the campaign, actually, and 
um, had wrapped up and, you know, my best friend Courtney had passed away. It was kind of like this cyclical feeling of all of a sudden I was in the shoes of the parents that I had been working with in a way where I found myself days after she had passed and you're kind of in this surreal haze and I kind of just went and printed out her eyes. I remember like calling the printer and I was just like crying. I was just like explaining the situation. I'm just like, I want this printed like right now. And it just became, you know, I just kind of did it and then reached out to her family and friends. And for me, it just felt like a very intuitive kind of cathartic act to do. And then once I put it up, you know, of course, wanted to make sure her best friend, who was a co-owner of the store and her family was okay with it. And it was pretty shocking because, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, she's gone and all of a sudden you see like 15 foot wide mural of her eyes all of a sudden so I think there was kind of a little bit of a shock to it but um, over time it turned into a little bit of an ad hoc memorial site and there was this kind of odd feeling not odd feeling but um, it created this very kind of serendipitous corner where every time I felt like I went to go visit I would run into friends of hers and like family members and people would leave flowers there and so it became this kind of site and then by visiting and running into people facilitated these meetups with friends and I think in that time, those were the people that I wanted to be talking with about about what had happened. And, I mean, we hear that all yeah. the time from people. If somebody dies, then they just want to be with the people. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who get it, the people who knew that person, who loved that person. And so by creating this mural, you unintentionally created a gathering spot, mm-hmm. a public place for people to come together. Yeah. And I love that it's such a beautiful example of how grief is so unique and the way we express our grief and what we need in our grief is so different for every person Mm -hmm. and that you were able to tap into something that was already a place you went for expression and Mm -hmm. just like came out naturally in that way and and that works really well for some people and then as we know for some people they have to find something completely different yeah so absolutely this is probably a hard question to answer but do you have a sense of how people react or respond to both the mural you put up for Courtney, and then also with the campaign you did with parents whose children had died of opioid overdoses. It's hard to say how what the reaction was like for the parents that I worked with because you know I done we did them kind of all over the Western New York area, and so they weren't neighborhoods or communities I was very involved with. So like I wasn't getting a lot of feedback after they were up, but I did sense this catharsis that was happening while we were doing it, though. For the parents themselves. For the parents, yeah. For me, it was a really kind of uncomfortable position. I mean, you kind of, in some of your questions that you sent me, you talked about kind of how people are so uncomfortable with grief. And, like, for me, going into this project was super intense because I'm working with these parents and, like, you know, I had children pass away, like, within the year. And at the time, I was probably, like, 24 and, like, hadn't had that much experience with grief. And so I was just going into this very respectful, and I just didn't know how they were going to react, if it was going to be too much. Like, all of a sudden, you know, I'm showing them, like, a 12-foot-tall print of their daughter who had just passed away and I found that once we started doing the mural you know because it's it's very simple it's just glue and just xerox paper you know large sheets of it I mean just stick it to the wall and you kind of like you know use brushes or you can just use your hands and you kind of massage the paper into the surface so it's a very tactile process and um it was great because I, I would get like the first panel started and the parents would just kind of take over and you know the mural of Courtney's eyes was probably the most personal reaction I had because I you know it was still close with her family and um, all of her friends. And like I said, there was kind of this, like, you know, it was very shocking. It was a very, like, shocking thing to see, but it became, like, I think something that was received really well over time. And I think one thing that's kind of unique, I was thinking about that this this morning, but 
all the murals that I had done kind of before doing these projects, I was always getting like some flack from community because it's just paper and glue and these murals aren't supposed to last forever. And so they would kind of come down. So I'd do these big walls and all of a sudden the paper would start flaking off and I would hear some criticism of just like, why does he do these murals? They just kind of come off right away. And for me, I loved the beauty of it going up and then kind of fading and coming down. And there was a really beautiful um, article that was written about the Courtney mural, about how this wheat paste process served as kind of this parallel of grief where like you got to have this thing age over time. But there was kind of a point because like the mural was situated kind of low to the ground that was starting to get dirt kicked up on it. And so it got to a point where the, you know, the parents wanted to take the eyes off. It kind of led to like another part of the process that was totally unplanned but ended up being incredibly meaningful where we all got together and this was you know probably close to a year almost a year out from her death and her parents it was in January and this is like Buffalo winter and like you know probably 10 degrees and <laughs> we had to remove this mural and I've just never removed a mural in that weather before but we so we were like in the store heating up water and then bringing it outside and washing the paper because you need to get it wet and then you peel mm. it off. Um, and again, it was like this incredibly visceral, tactile experience. It's freezing out, and you got hot water on your hands, and you're massaging a wall, kind of slowly peeling off these little shards. It was this really powerful experience for me. And her parents actually had kept all the pieces of the mural, too, because um, they had hosted a bonfire on the anniversary of her death, and a bunch of people came out to their property, and we had this bonfire, and they had brought out a basket of all the remnants of the mural. And everyone got a little piece, and we got to, like, put it in the fire, and it kind of wrapped up in this really beautiful way. I mean, totally unplanned, but... um, It's like an amazing accidental ritual. Yeah. You know, and we... People say about how important the act of ritual can be in grief and having Mm -hmm. some process with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in this case, for Mm -hmm. it to engage all the senses. Yeah. The heat and the cold. Yeah, so many elements and... You know, in the past, you know, six months, I've been focusing on wanting to, like, have my art specifically in this realm of of grieving and being able to offer, like, different ways and abilities to kind of memorialize someone and with kind of my background with, like, alternative uses of photography and photos and that sort of thing, so. In that, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up for Celebrate Silas. So for people who are in the area, it's scheduled for Sunday, March 4th. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? That's correct. Um... It's a Memorial 5K run-walk. It's a really engaging community event put on by Jody. It's also mm-hmm. a fundraiser for the Dougie Center, which is fantastic for us as an organization. And this year, there's an added component that Max, you're sort of taking the lead on. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So so I met Jody over the summer, and this kind of idea, just kind of after like you know a few months of meeting up and having conversations, we decided to do these workshops where we'd offer people the opportunity to create kind of these, you know, we're just calling them mini murals in a sense. They're like two by three feet. And we just want, you know, people to have the opportunity to like email us a photograph of the loved one that they're walking for. And then we'll make like a black and white three by two foot print. And then you can come into the Dougie Center. Um, We're doing three workshops in January um, 21st, February 3rd, and February 17th. You'll have like about an hour time slot that, you know, and then we'll walk you through the process of pasting it to a sheet of wood and you'll have opportunities to kind of customize it to add lettering if you want to kind of do some collage on top of it or color it or kind of do whatever you want. So, and then we're going to frame those up and kind of do an outdoor gallery of all the portraits. Mm-hmm. That At we'll the have. actual walk, they'll be yeah, out so, there on Sunday so, morning. Yeah, it makes it Dunaway um, School, uh, uh, I think it's an elementary school. 
And so there's a big fence, I think, that's near the, the where the tent will be, where every, everything will gather. And so, yeah, we're not going to create like an outdoor gallery. And since, you know, I've used this process for outdoor murals, we figured that it's in March and we don't know how the weather will be exactly. But I think it, they'll be it fine. It will be for raining a, probably. It's yeah, Portland, but, Oregon. Good chance it'll but be But I raining. think they'll hold up for, you know, at least a few hours in the, in the elements. And uh, Are there any yeah. options for people who maybe live in the area and they want to participate, but they're not able to come to the workshops? Um, if they can't come to the workshops, they could maybe send a proxy person. I think we can send a proxy or we can, you know, maybe work out another time. Either way, I think we can try to figure out or accommodate because we want as many as possible. So we're not looking to turn anyone away. And I'll put all the contact information if you are listening and you're interested in participating of how to reach out to Jody and to Max and to be part of that. And and maybe if you live in a different part of the country and you want to talk with Max about how to do this work or create a project, people can reach out to you that way as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, like I'm feeling super, I've been really interested in thinking, like kind of designing these processes that are very participatory and like, you know, getting people involved. With the work you did with the painkillers kill more than pain campaign Mm -hmm. and also with Courtney's mural and now getting involved with Jody and celebrate Silas. I'm curious how this experience is affecting you personally. I mean, it sounds like it's really inspired your artistic thought process and how you can branch out and do more of this kind of work. But how about on a personal level? I mean, it's so many ways. It's made me appreciate life in in a way that I, I never did before. Um, I think there's kind of a wisdom earned through grief and losing people. And, you know, and as a part-time job, I work as a funeral attendant. So, like, I'm seeing, you know, families and having to deal with, with death on a, you know, now daily basis. And, yeah, it's just made me appreciate life and, like, living and friendship more. And, like, it just seems like, the, you know, my priorities have kind of shifted a little bit more in that sense. So without guessing getting too personal about it but (laughs) and we joked earlier that max is the most formally dressed podcast guest we've ever had here because he is in his uh, attire for assisting with a funeral right now so yeah i'm in my fbi all black (laughs) suit with white shirt like the most conservative (laughs) thing that you could wear but going back to that idea we started off with of how often grief can be such a private experience and sometimes that's by choice the people want their grief to be very private and Mm -hmm. very internal. Mm -hmm. And other times it's not so much a choice. It's more a reaction to how friends and family and society not really knowing how to respond or how to create space for that grief to become more public. Mm -hmm. And in your work, I, I just, I mean, I'm going to say this already. I love how it's really like pushing that out into the public sphere for people who are choosing to grieve in that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious from your sense as, as an artist of what does it mean to put something so expressive and emotional in a public space? Like, how does it change things? I think, I mean, I think it's hard to say how it will change things just because, you know, I think that's, I think the response to the work is very subjective, but I know my intentions with, you know, and why I'm feeling kind of so inspired about this realm of work is that I think I think death. I think we are like in a very like death phobic society, and um, and I guess I question that. And I guess experiencing my own personal grief, it just seems like a area of life that needs to be kind of aired out a little bit. What I try to do with the murals and the public work is not trying to have it be so too in your face, but you know I think by just having like black and white portraits, you don't really know who the person is. Like if you're not kind of familiar with the story, you just kind of stumble across it. And, 
but I think it could at least start leading you to kind of ask questions and like just having people kind of bring it up. And I think that if it's starting a conversation, I'm super happy at the end of the day. I think about the idea of giving permission. It's not a requirement to go public with your grief, but the fact that there could be permission given by this billboard that is someone else is being able to be so open about their grief. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do that too. Maybe yeah. at least the, the permission has been granted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes me think of the, so the kind of the lead couple on the Painkillers Kill Project was this, um, was Avi and Julie Israel. And they were, you know, honoring their son, Michael. And these, you know, they were just a power couple where they, I mean, they just like went on a mission. Their son had Crohn's disease and to deal with the pain, he was just um, prescribed uh, Oxycontin and just developed an addiction to this. And he was like 16 years old and it kind of led to this dark depression. He ended up just taking his life. This is just Avi's personality, and like, so he's just gone totally public with it and started the foundation called Save the Michaels of the World, and for years they were building a community of parents who had been going through similar things, and, you know, obviously the opioid crisis is happening all over the country, and, like, it was amazing hearing from him, though, just by him kind of going public, and, you know, because he just has this kind of fighter mentality, and so he's, like, you know, taking these parents and going to Washington and trying to, like, fight for legislation and trying to, like, you know, kind of combat the drug companies, He's someone that obviously his instinct was, you know, we're going to take this public. We're going to... Fierce, fierce advocacy. But he was also working with this community of parents that, like, you know, a lot of them, they wouldn't even talk about the cause of death if it was an overdose. And, like, so they can't even talk about the truth of how their loved one passed away. And, you know, I just give him so much credit for being this spearhead because I feel like he's brought a lot of people together. To see uh, someone maybe model another way. Mm-hmm. even though people may still choose yeah. to stay private about yeah. things, but to know that this is an option and here's mm-hmm. someone doing it and I can see how that's yeah. done. So I think he's doing a lot of amazing work and kind of Save the Michaels has now turned into like an actual like health clinic and they're serving mm-hmm. people and helping with families that are currently struggling with like loved ones that are going through addiction. So they have 20, 30 like full-time counselors that are working there and it's like turned into this whole thing. And an absolute advocate for change. Yeah. One thing I'm thinking about is I'm noticing that both of you know you and I are both from the east coast and uh, we both are gesticulating a lot so listeners if you're hearing any random noises it's because we gesticulate a lot and we hit things in the recording studio yeah just the (laughs) the physical talking but I'm wondering about any different I left the east coast a long time ago so I don't have a good perspective on this but do you have a sense of how grief looks different on the east coast versus the west coast where we are hmm well, I'm pretty new to the West Coast, so I don't know how it's done out here. How do you, how do you think, how do, what do you, how would you? I have no idea. I just was, you know, as we were talking earlier, yeah. you were saying you had just been at a memorial service and that people were dressed pretty casually right, and you're kind of right. the only person in the black suit. And <laughs> I just know the funerals I've been to on the East Coast, everybody was dressed pretty formally yeah. and wearing the more stereotypical funeral attire. Yeah, yeah it's definitely way more casual. I think that I've experienced, um, you know, I was talking with a fellow attendant. She grew up in New York City, and when she moved out here, she's like, yeah, it was interesting when, you know, you go to the opera and people are just wearing the really nice fleece. <laughs> and like, you know, that's kind of, which is great. It's like, you know, I think there's, I think this weather and the climate requires much more like utilitarian fashion. Yeah, and I just, I wonder if there's any correlation between being public or private in your grief being on the East Coast or the West Coast. Yeah, I would say it's like much private. I mean, Buffalo is kind of this interesting, like, hybrid of Midwest, East Coast, Canadian. We're, like, kind of right in this weird little nook of the state. And it's that classically uh, Midwest, and that's, like, very polite. 
So it might avoid to kind of asking the hard questions maybe or like kind of skirting around things that might feel difficult. Um, and I mean, just thinking about the parents who didn't want to share what happened with their child if like, you know, because like the death was related to drugs, you know, there's and like... worried a, about know. the shame and the stigma yeah, and judgment yeah, from other people. Absolutely. So... Yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, mm, I think all these things are still pretty true out here too. Yeah. At least from the people who come to our support groups of talking about other people not really knowing how to ask or mm -hmm. how to engage in that conversation. So who knows? Listeners, we'd love to hear from you if you mm -hmm. think there's any sort of geographical cultural differences between East Coast and West Coast when it comes to grief. Mm -hmm. And Max, I just really want to thank you for coming in to talk about your work. It's really inspiring. And also the work you're going to be doing with Celebrate Silas, March 4th, 2018, here in Portland, Oregon. So if you are a listener, if you live in the area and you want to participate in the mural project, or if you know somebody who lives here, give them the information. I'll post everything in the show notes about how to get involved and how to contact uh, Max, the artist, and also Jody, the founder and organizer of Celebrate Silas. So thank you, Max. It was really nice to talk with you today. Thanks so much for having me. You guys do amazing work. Well, we're grateful to be here. And for those of you who are listening, I know I gave you a little heads up a few months ago that we were looking at changing the name of our podcast, and we are going to be moving forward with that. I don't want to give you a complete final date, but I'm pretty sure that by January, we're going to be transitioning over to being Grief Out Loud with some beautiful new artwork and a new logo. So we appreciate you listening to Dear Dougie, and we'll be giving you the same content just with a new name. So stay tuned. And if you have an idea for a topic or something you want to talk to us about, please email us at help at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. You can find our past episodes in iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcast platform that you might use. Thanks for listening and join us again next time. Thanks for listening.